Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati, ready to rip it up, talking all pro and all rookie teams. Mike and I pick our all pro and all rookie teams, and also at the back end of the show, the watch watch, the washed watch, all that stuff, and then an interview with Notre Dame running back Kyron Williams. Let's get it. Do we have to talk about Browns Steelers? It was one of the worst games I've seen this year. I don't think we do. I, like, there's, we have, we're not beholden to any sort of rules here that we have to talk about every game. I, I will just say, Big Ben having the lowest yards per attempt in his final game at Heinz Field was kind of a microcosm of the game. It was kind of hilarious. I mean, he had lower yards per attempt than Baker and completed like eight more passes <laughs> it was insane so Steelers win at home 26-14 I think there were dogs in this game like three-point dogs and they closed as Browns favored by one they win 26-14 Baker Mayfield looks horrendous goes 16 of 38 for 185 two TDs and two picks and Ben Rossberger somehow like looks worse 24-46 123 2.7 yards per attempt one touchdown and an interception I think uh Brian Levy or Steve Levy is it Steve Levy? Yeah. He on the broadcast said Big Ben was at one point was five for five on third downs, but they have not converted one. <laughs> it was like he was just continuing to throw the football below, yeah. like behind the sticks and not getting things done, just checking things down. It was ugly, gross. Maybe one positive, that big run from Najee Harris. He finished yeah. the game with game, a, uh, 28 carries for 188 yards. Yeah. yeah. 28 carries, 188 yards, and a TD, and like the stiff arm from hell that sent that Browns defender into the dirt, MJ Stewart. Uh, I think the only positives, Najee Harris is going to still be a Pittsburgh Steeler, and Big Ben is not. (laughs) That's probably another positive from this one as well. And Mike Tomlin not going below 500 yet again. And the Steelers actually still alive with a very, very outside chance it would take the Colts losing for them to sneak in. But still alive. Off of this game and on to do you want to, let's go all rookie and then all pro sweet so what we've done here is we've picked our picks for the all rookie and all all pro teams by position what you're going to see here largely based on grading and how people how how players have graded out this season but there are takes there are some takes there are some takes to be had I want to also kind of highlight some honorable mentions here it's not going to be fun to just say all the same names over and over I want to highlight some honorable mentions as well as you say we won't harp too much on the ones that we agree upon yeah that are fairly clear cut Mm -hmm. the other thing i'll add is the mailbag episode is thursday and if you have not gone to the description in wherever you get your podcast apple spotify etc there is a link to speakpipe.com tailgate where you can leave a voicemail for the mailbag episodes we're going to answer probably like four to six every single week play those voicemails on the mailbag episode and answer those questions it doesn't have to be questions questions takes impersonations of renner renner's mom renner's sister whoever we need to impersonate we will impersonate on speakpipe.com tailgate um the other thing i'll add is i am excited to answer those you can also leave a review on apple Podcasts or spotify send those reviews to the dms in tailgate to make sure those get answered as well the mailbag episodes are going to be a treat and we might be doing the bonus mailbag episode four episodes a week here soon on to all rookie team, Mac Jones, quarterback. We both picked Mac Jones. I don't think there's really much of a debate here. He's the highest graded rookie quarterback of any of them this year. Davis Mills not really putting up a fight. And he ranks tied for ninth among all quarterbacks in the NFL in PFF grade. Coming off an 89.9 PFF grade in week 17 in that blowout win over the Jags. 
any any reason to go off of Mac Jones here? No. This isn't to say he's all of a sudden QB1 from this draft class for certain. Mm-hmm. We've, of course not. You learn your lesson when you see what Baker Mayfield did on Monday night after his rookie year. But there's no debate that he was the best as a rookie. I Do you see – who do you ultimately now – or do you want to have this conversation? Hell no. You know I don't. You I'd don't? rather not. We yeah. can talk about – we have weeks and months to talk about. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Running back. I wanted to give Elijah Mitchell some love here. I wanted to add him as an honorable mention. I don't think he's been talked about enough. Huh? So why don't you marry him then? What the hell? That joke is trash. That joke <laughs> is literally trash. Here's your but I think Elijah Mitchell deserves some credit. He hasn't played a ton this year. He's been hurt a ton this year. 404 snaps played, but he's the number two graded rookie behind the guy we both picked. But Elijah Mitchell for San Francisco has played like a season vet this year. Um, when healthy, Najee Harris, I think, also deserves some love. Over 900 snaps played. The amount of touches Najee Harris has had this yeah. season is absolutely absurd. I think he will finish the year with potentially the most combined broken tackles when you include receptions because he's gotten the ball dumped mm-hmm. off to him a thousand times. If volume was driving this pick for us, I think Najee Harris would be the name. And recency bias at the stiff arm 180-yard day, maybe you do it. But Javante Williams is our pick. He's only played 500 snaps, which is close to half of what Najee has played. But he leads. He's tied for the lead in force missed tackles per touch on the ground with Jonathan Taylor. He has been as efficient. Touch, just Real- straight up. Really? Yeah. He's tied for the lead for most force missed tackles. Well, on the ground. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Not per touch. That's insane. Yeah. Especially considering... Only 191 carries on the year. Yeah, so he has five more carries than Elijah Mitchell and twice as many broken tackles, which is, I mean, that's just who he is. He's so averaging 4.5 per. He is my pick for it. Now, Najee, he didn't have much of a shot. You know, like, it's not as if this is for certain, again, that Javante is the better back. It's just when you average 3.9 yards per carry, you're not overcoming said run blocking in a meaningful manner, even though he was good as a receiver as well. Do you, okay, on to wide receiver. Is there any conversation for not Jamar Chase? I don't think there's any conversation for either wide receiver <laughs> positions here. Really? For the rookie class. So we have Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle pick. That's who we picked. I threw in, like I did Elijah Mitchell, want to give him his due. Devontae Smith has been excellent this year. Okay. Do not come away from this year thinking Devontae Smith is a bust. Do not come away from this year thinking Devontae Smith. I think there's still opportunity for him to enter this like upper echelon among this class, right? I still think he's in that upper echelon with Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. If Chase didn't literally break every rookie receiving record that you could possibly break and Jalen Waddle wasn't as electric as he was, I think more people will be talking about Devontae Smith. I think some of it, he hasn't had a lot of downfield work, right? But Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle are the two receivers we selected. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. no one's going to walk away from Devontae Smith's rookie season to call him a bust. He has almost as many yards as John Ross has in his entire career still. Like he's, and that's in year one. So like there's a bar for bus and it looks like Jalen Rager, John Ross as rookies. You're way beyond that for Devontae Smith. But at the same time, Jalen Wadge, Mark Chase just been better, like far better, uh, even on like a per touch, per open target basis. So yeah, that those are the two. Amon Ra, Ross, St. Brown deserves some love. If you were to put a slot receiver in this, he makes the all-rookie team as well. Amon Ra St. Brown. He's kind of turned on of late. I think that's uh, been He's a league impressive. winner yeah. for a lot of people. A league winner in fantasy. As they say. As they say in the fantasy football world. Not for me. League winner for me was. <laughs> Who? 
Jamar Chase, baby. Wow. Yeah, Jamar Chase was freaking awesome down the stretch. Before we get to tight end, the rest of the rookie class, cheers to 2022 and resolutions you can actually keep. How about upgrading your grooming routine for the new year? Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to make the ball drop into the tw- into 2022 the cleanest ever. Set your first New Year's resolution with good intentions and join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use code PFF for 20% off and free shipping. It's the new year. New me. It's new year, new me. With the global leaders in male grooming, this year, take your grooming to the next level with the Performance Package 4.0, brand new ultra premium body wash. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use code PFF. It's new year, new me in 2022 with Manscaped. So I talked to Connor Price, Mm -hmm. who is a person who works here at PFF, who handles the sponsor stuff for the podcast. He said Manscaped sent him a PG read. And an R read. Okay. And he gave us the PG read. That was the PG read. Yeah. That's track. We did see PG. Yeah. We want the R read. Yeah. So I told him to upload the R read. This is the the children's R rated podcast. Yeah, exactly. We need the R read the next time we swing that bat, or else I'm going to be upset. All right. Tight end. Kyle Pitts. Next question. I mean, no other rookie tight ends even made an impact this year. Fra- so. Pat Frymouth had Frymouth, more, okay. tight end, more touchdowns. He had seven touchdowns. Wow. So eat that Kyle you're a touch. You're a volume stat guy with touchdowns. I mean, What's the goal of the game? What are we trying to do here? <laughs> trying to score points? Or are we trying to just get rack up yardage? Is it a beauty contest? I want to spend some time on this next one. Okay. Because he's been like legitimately phenomenal. Yeah. Rashawn Slater of the Los Angeles Chargers has been insane for them. Kind of an un- unsung hero because so much of the attention goes to Eckler, Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, that defense with Staley and Asante Samuel Jr. Rashawn Slater, you may have not heard his name a ton, but rightfully so, because this guy is not allowed like next to any pressure this year. And he has on the year an 83.5 PFF grade, which is number one among all off the tackles ahead of Panay Sewell and others that have taken snaps this year, Sam Cosme, et cetera. And in pass protection, he is allowed only 17 pressures all year. And he has no game with more than four pressures allowed back in week five against the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett included, mm-hmm. was his worst game statistically from a pressures perspective. But since then, dude, he has been lights out over the last two weeks, zero pressures allowed, hasn't had allowed more than four pressures in a game since then, more than three pressures in a game since week five. Rashawn Slater, are, is he going to be on Hall of Fame bust watch soon? I mean, this guy is on an absolute tear. Yeah, he was he sixth overall among tackles. He's been excellent. He was the highest grade player in the NFL this past week. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to pump the brakes on the Hall of Fame bust watch, but this is like... I mean, this is what Marshall Yanda looked like as a rookie. This is what Zach Martin looked like as a rookie. The high, Tyron Smith, the high-end guys, you know, right out the mm-hmm. gate. Um, and that's Rashawn Slater. So I just want to, for a quick, we'll do it at the end of the all-rookie team action. Never mind. Go ahead. Keep going. Oh, wow. You have something a little at the end. No, right. I was just going to read how we rank the top of this class outside the quarterback position, just like the position players. Mm-hmm. But we'll go to the end and do that. Left guard, Elijah Vera Tucker. We both selected him. I think he's the highest graded rookie guard, regardless of left side or right side. He has been phenomenal. Was he worth the trade up for the New York Jets? We don't have to get into that positional value, getting the most out of your picks, but he's been a damn good player. And I think he only gets better um, as he moves forward. Yeah, ABT. And center, Creed Humphrey. Creed Humphrey. Guard. He's the highest grade center in the NFL. Yeah. Creed Humphrey is not just the highest graded rookie interior offensive lineman. He's not just the highest graded yeah. li- rookie lineman. He is the highest graded center in the NFL. Talk about slam dunk. That was my whiff watch. I couldn't believe I just to, to for a guy to go and uh, the NFL is kicking themselves too. For a guy to be the best center in the NFL day one and drop, what was he? This he was picked right behind Josh Myers. I mean, he wasn't even the first center off the board. Pretty absurd. 
All righty then. Trey Smith, too. We both picked him as the right guard. He's the Kansas City Chiefs right guard, former Tennessee volunteer who slipped in the draft because he had the blood clots in his lungs. Mm. But, dude, he has been nothing short of phenomenal. I think he's the second highest graded rookie guard behind Elijah Vera Tucker so far this year. Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith both make the all-rookie team, which is insane for the Chiefs to hit on those two interior offensive linemen. I think where they've had less success is Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle. That's where they've seen some hurt. And then right tackle, they have not. Um, I think it's been you know uh, Lucas Niang all year, who's been body-bagged quite a bit. But on the interior, a lot of success with Tooney, Creed, and Trey Smith so far. I will also say there's only been six guards to really start the majority of the year. So there's not a lot of competition yeah. there. It's like they beat out Alex Leatherwood, Royce Newman, Jalen Mayfield, who have, I believe, all at one point in time made a blackout uh, of the week. So <laughs> not not a lot of comp there. It's been kind of a blackout season for Leatherwood. Mm. You hate yeah. to see it. Right tackle, Panay Sewell. But we both picked May Sewell. He is the... Number a lot of this based on grading, right? He's a number two grade tackle behind Rashawn Slater so far this year among rookies. Sam Cosme, though, battled some injuries. He has not played as much as Panay Sewell has, but man, he has been also very good. I think you've talked about him before. It's like a guy that has already exceeded expectations coming out of Texas. Yeah, Cosme is a lot, has shown a lot to be excited about. And Christian Darisaw. Now Christian Darisaw's left tackle. But those two guys for if you are a Vikings and football team fan, I'd be very excited. Those are those are what like good seasons usually look like for tackles. Mm-hmm. But Slater, Sewell, Worfs, those guys are exceptions. This is what, you know, an encouraging start to a career looks more like Cosme and Darisaw usually. Defensive tackle, you pick we both pick Christian Barmore. He's the highest graded rookie defensive tackle so far this year. He has been a Top standout from pressures for DTs this Among year. all DTs. Yeah. And then number two, you picked Osa Digizua, Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle, former UCLA defensive tackle. I picked Ali McNeil, Detroit Lions defensive tackle, who's graded really well, specifically against the run this year. I think he ranks number two or number three among rookie defensive tackles. I think Roy Lopez is somewhere in there. He's played a lot mm-hmm. of snaps for the Houston Texans, but he there's not a lot of defensive tackle play to speak to here because a lot of them haven't played more than 400 snaps this season, which is kind of this barometer we take for like a starter. And Roy Roy Lopez would rank number two among rookie defensive tackles with 400 plus snaps played behind Christian Barmore, but he was only graded out like a 58.7. He has not played well. Yeah. So this is very indicative of what we said all spring where it's like, this is not a good DT class. It is Christian Barmore. And then I'm not sure I'd want to take one until the third round. Like Ali McNeil, where he went, is probably the next probably opportunity I would have even thought about taking a defensive tackle in this class. Barmore, obviously, been a dude from day one here in terms of being able to rush the pass. He's ninth in total pressures. Odigizua, though, has shown to me may not grade the highest, 47.6 overall grade because he has been moved a little easily at times in the run game, only a 35.1 grade, moved easily being sort of an understatement. But the flashes, you see him beating guys quickly at the NFL level more than shit Roy Lopez. You know, like it has more high-end plays that I've seen from him on tape. So that's why I put him on this list. Um, Edge defender. Both picked Quiddy Pay. He's the highest graded rookie edge this year. I think he also has the highest pass rush win rate of any rookie edge. I considered after Quiddy... Gregory Rousseau, who's played a ton of defensive snaps for Buffalo, has a decent amount of pressures. A lot of them clean up pursuit, but I opted for with you, Odafe Owe, who has a higher pass rush win rate and has been overall like seen more high-end from Owe yeah. than you have from Rousseau. Rousseau has been consistently good for Buffalo. Um, I, I think there is some reason for some Rousseau concern. Rousseau was... Go ahead. I mean, he just... Didn't he beat up the Dolphins twice? Yeah. It's like, that's where... like 
that was why I, I leaned to Dafe Owe. Had more consistent sort of game in, game out, making plays. It wasn't just, hey, I faced Liam Eikenberg on a, you know. Beat up Atlanta, <laughs> beat up Miami, beat up Miami again. And those yeah. those three, those are three of his highest graded games this year. Um, also, Kansas City earned a high PFF pass rushing grade that week as well. He has beat up on bad offensive tackles, but you can only play the people you play. So he's got 30 pressures on the year, which has been good compared to some of the other pass rushers, right? I think yeah. this class, what we talked about so much was, you know, how it's it's going to take time, right? It's going to take time yes. before these guys develop. I think another player to bring up is Jalen Phillips, right? Mm -hmm. 38 total pressures on the year, but just a 61.4 PFF pass rushing grade. He's only really had stellar games against Carolina, who doesn't have the best of offensive lines, and then Indianapolis in week four. But um, Phillips, was he in consideration for you? No, I mean, like he was, obviously. Everyone was in consideration for me. That's how this works. Fair, sorry. <laughs> no, but uh, it, to me, he was a DPR in that defense. OA, more in every down player, more plays against the run. Going forward, I'm not sure. I, I'm really favoring one over the other. Both had like high-end flashes. Obviously, OA was slightly ahead on our board, so probably still leaning that way. But it wasn't, it wasn't a drastically different in terms of encouraging first seasons. Linebacker, Micah Parsons is, you can't even bet him to win defensive rookie of the year anymore because it's so obvious. He's the highest graded linebacker regardless of experience in the NFL. And probably if TJ Watt, I think he had like a sack and a half in this last night's game. Like if TJ Watt didn't have that, again, I've had my rant on the defensive player of the year award. It's pretty much who leads the NFL in sacks. If Watt and Garrett weren't having the seasons they are, and Michael Parsons maybe even more more often played along the edge, I think he'd be in it. But like this is the best we've seen a rookie compete for that award in a long time. Maybe since Lawrence Taylor won it as a rookie a long time ago in the nineties or whatever it was. But Michael Parsons, man, putting him on all rookie team isn't enough. We're gonna get to the all pro team. I think he makes an appearance there as well. He has been legitimately better than I think even if you threw the off field out the window, I think he's even been better than people thought like in terms of playing multiple positions and having the impact he's had at such a young age, he's still at only mm -hmm. 21 years old. It's been such an insane year for Michael Parsons and Dallas passed on was get you know was wanted a corner right i think everyone spoke to like they wanted sertan they wanted horn both those guys off the board they end up opting for bpa in their opinion and Michael Parsons yeah. and holy shit did they hit a slam dunk yeah i I love Parsons coming out. Like people had the questions about him in coverage, which were fair, but he was, depending on the role you were going to play him in, he still had the coverage ability that to me is probably the most rare, which is like tracking down athletes in space. He is probably the best linebacker in the NFL at that right now. You know, like that guy runs a 439 at 245 pounds. He is just, they were talking about on the broadcast that he is not just, you know, fast for a linebacker. He's the fastest guy in the field when he plays. Like, put in the cornerbacks there for the Cowboys. Put in whoever you want on that Cowboys defense. He is the fastest guy on that football field. And whether it's rushing the passer, like I said, whether it's closing to running backs, whether it's covering in space, he's just been, yeah, he, all pro linebacker. And it, there hasn't been a rookie get defensive player of the year votes this millennium. Um, I'm not sure when the last time was, but he'll get as votes. far back as I had. And I, I do think he does get votes because he really has transformed this Cowboys defense. Also helps that he plays the Cowboys, right? And That's the Cowboys get, votes, get a little yeah. bit of a bump. I mean, you look at – he is not 
rushed the passer exclusively really since week 11 and week 12. So he's rushed the passer more than 40 times in those two games against Kansas City and Las Vegas. And guess what? He had 17 total fucking pressures in those games. That's insane. Some people, you talk about Jalen Phillips, he has 38 pressures on the season. Michael Parsons said those in the two games he's played more than 40 pass rushing snaps in a game. And then for the year, 67 total pressures for Michael Parsons. Rushing the passer over 300 times, in coverage over 280 times, and on the year over 900 snaps played. Like the versatility, the impact, the efficiency, the high end, it's all there for Michael Parsons. Like you can't say enough good words about him on the football field this year. Jeremiah Usukormoa. If Parsons didn't exist, you're probably hearing a little bit more about Usukormoa. He has been really solid for the, the, Cleveland Browns on defense, the former Notre Dame linebacker. He's played, I think, a little north of 500 defensive snaps. He's battled some injuries at certain points in the season. Multiple games with a grade, a single-game grade above 70. I think it's four total on the year. Has not rushed the passer nearly as often as Micah Parsons, but what he's done in coverage I think has been special. Yeah, so Pete Werner has been great in a limited role. Nick Warner. Bolton's been great in a limited role. I'm sorry. Both those guys. And you've complained about my jokes over here. Both those guys, though, don't hold the candle to what we saw from Owusu-Karamoa and Parsons so far this season. There was no debate. Um, cornerback. Patrick Sertan is not the highest-graded rookie corner, actually. I think other, like Nate Hobbs, technically, because he plays the slot, I think is the highest-graded rookie corner. Jerry Jacobs, who before he got hurt for the Detroit Lions, is graded, I think, higher than Sertan. Um, Eric Stokes is slot, guys. Yeah, that's a different position. Yeah, it's a different position, different position. But outside corner, Sertan is up there, and we both picked him as the number one. I do think we should give Eric Stokes some love, though. Yes. Eric Stokes has graded really well. You've already spoke to that. He's exceeded expectations compared to your pre-draft mm -hmm. thoughts on Eric Stokes. I think Stokes, honestly, like we have here picks, we both picked Sertan and Newsom as our two outside corners. I think it's it's give or, you know, depends on your flavor, right? I think Stokes yeah. could insert to either one of those. Yeah, I, I, I thought Newsom has been probably the most, like, consistently not beaten. I don't know how to say it. What's the best way to say that? He's, give, he's, he's been toasted the fewest amount of times uh, of these guys, of like those top, that top group. I think, and then I think, then I think it's Sertan and then Stokes is a clear third for me of the guys who have played well this season as rookies from start to finish on the outside. So that was kind of the deciding factor for me in the rankings here. And then at the nickel spot, the slot, I went with Nate Hobbs, who the who idiotically was found asleep in his car Monday morning and he got his charge with DUI now. Jesus. Yeah, I, I ended up not going with Nate Hobbs, not because he hasn't been the highest grade rookie corner, but just because I don't know how much I mean the DUI situation in Las Vegas, you just hate to see it. I went with Elijah Molden, who's also graded really also well in the no. slot He's um, for Tennessee, the yeah. former Washington cornerback, also a friend of the show. Absolute friend of the show. That one was one you could just see coming from a mile away. Yeah. It was just like the hardest part about it was just like how much do you value the guy who that's probably always going to be you know he's probably only going to be a slot at the next level that's all he did at washington until maybe i think it was like a couple of games seen his last year there he got, finally played some deep safety to try to you know showcase his versatility whatever but that was the guy with the nfl today you wanted him in the slot role now how valuable is that that's you know eye the beholder depends a lot on the scheme what you're asking him to do in your defense but you just always knew he was going to be good there and he has been yeah, I think he athletically compared really well to um, Mike Hilton, 
who has obviously okay, been a yeah. dominant snot, dominant snot, dominant slot player for the Steelers, and now playing good football for the Cincinnati Bengals. Safety, no surprises here. These guys have played a ton of snaps this year, and both played really, really well at safe position. I think they both rank actually inside the top ten yeah. among all safeties in the NFL in PFF grade this year. Javon Holland, Oakland native, Bishop O'Dowd grad, and Oregon graduate. And Miami Dolphin now, Javon Holland. And then Trayvon Merrick for the Las Vegas Raiders, who's played more snaps of any rookie defender this year and is also graded really well. Those two safeties make the all-rookie team. Yeah, that was pretty clear-cut. There really weren't even that many other starting safeties in this free class. Javon Holland may be my biggest regretted, regrettable I tried to ranking. tell you. And I literally think it was just purely because I watched him so early on and just got, like, fatigue. Where mm -hmm. it was just like I had watched him, obviously, after his true sophomore year. After that draft, after the 2020 draft, going into that, is that right? 2020 draft, going into the 2020 season. And then obviously he doesn't play. So I've seen him already and I see all these other guys play and I get intrigued by their tape. And all of a sudden, I'm like talking to myself about Javon Holland for some reason. That's on me, Javon Holland. That dude's a stud. Legit consideration. He's one of a number of guys in this class that deserves legit consideration for all pro at their respective positions, not just all rookie, all pro. But now we've gone through all of these. I want to say, how we had kind of the top mm -hmm. of the position class ranked here and just to see how like ridiculous this class truly yes. has been yeah that's you're going at the top our position player rankings went like this penny Sewell, which i still feel fine about as our top position player cal pitts jamar chase Devonte smith which sam made me do that i hate that i did that i wanted jalen waddle who's next on our list jalen waddle micah parsons rayshawn slater blaming Chris, sam christian barmore i will blame sam Again and again. Christian Barmore, Patrick Sertan. There was, that was how we ranked our top eight position players. All those guys just out the gate. Hits. Like There's not a doubt about any of those guys. It's like, are any of those guys going to be some of the best in their respective positions? They already are. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. insane that, that the top of the class is like that. Now, in retrospect, I'm, who would I go first of this group? It's tough, of the position player group. Micah Parsons, as much as I loved him, and I think like putting him as high as we did was about as high as I saw anyone else. He might be the top of that group, yeah. honestly, because he plays a valuable role in whatever defense is going to be in. That, I, he's, if he's rushing the pass over 300 yeah. times a season, it, it the positional value conversation changes, right? It's not he's just playing off-ball linebacker. If anything, it improves because you could probably franchise him as a linebacker, which gets paid significantly, if you ever got to this point, right? Mm -hmm. He's paid significantly less than an edge defender, and if you do sign him and you want to make him the highest paid off-ball linebacker, that's so much different than the highest paid edge defender in the NFL. I mean, it's a difference by six, seven, eight million per year. So Parsons in this role, if you pay him requisite to the rest of the off-ball linebackers when you do get to this second contract, I don't hate vaulting him up to the number one, number two non-quarterback in this class. Yeah. And then so Parsons, Chase, Slater, Sewell Pitts somewhere like that that or Waddle probably in there too. It's it's tough. They're all that the top of this class was probably the I think best right one, at, right off the we've seen since we started reading PFF. A big part of that I think is a lot of these guys have played really really well and expected to the talent of the class. But another part too, uh, another thing I want to touch on was after Slater, right? So you had Sewell Pitts, Chase Smith, Waddle, Parsons, Slater. Mm -hmm. Probably in hindsight, we had Christian Barmore at 12th on the board and Pasek Sertan at 13. Maybe you flop Sertan. No, I still think Barmore's going to be a monster. I really? Mean, yeah. Really? I mean, he was, like, look at his, look at he has been his a monster. rookie year as a defensive tackle compared to other defensive tackles okay. in league history because that's a tough position to come in right away. Like cornerback, not to say that 
you know, it's easy to play cornerback right away. But we've seen a lot of cornerbacks come in and be dudes from day one. Like, it's very possible because you're playing at a college level. Like, you're doing – you're almost asked to do, like, a very similar thing, which is, like, cover space. Mm-hmm. You're doing something once you go from defense tackle to the NFL that is massively different because what you're doing, it's like going from, it's like going from bench pressing 400 pounds to bench pressing 500 pounds because that's like the guy who's hitting you is just that level of that much stronger. You don't face guys that big and that strong at the collegiate level. There's just not a possibility. Whereas you can face guys that fast, that athletic mm-hmm. at the collegiate level. So, to me, what he's done as a rookie, like I said, already has more pressure than Chris Jones did as a rookie is I think the career trajectory for him is going to be into that upper echelon of the, you know, whatever that tier one yeah. of DTs behind Aaron Donald is going to be. So maybe I'm wrong there. I think maybe the first, I don't think it's wrong. first it's real just, regret. I, don't think that's... I think well, a couple notes looking at these position rankings, I think it's a good co- opportunity to talk about these. One, Rashad Bateman has not played a lot this year, but he's mm-hmm. been fucking awesome for the Baltimore Ravens. I think he'll be an interesting year two look as he plays more snaps for Baltimore. Maybe the first real regret is Farley at 23. Caleb Farley, the cornerback for Tennessee, who obviously had the injury concerns. Yeah. Maybe we didn't wait those too much because he still has injury concerns in Tennessee. But again, that's that's maybe a first early regret when injuries are hard to predict and all that kind of stuff. I don't see like any glaring, glaring concerns um, with some of this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say like a guy who I feel could be not great. Like I think I'd have to go down to 28, Terrace Marshall, mm-hmm. where it's like he did nothing. Obviously, that offense did nothing also. But... That's one where a guy really had was healthy and didn't put up numbers as a rookie. Aziz Ojulari maybe too at 30. Yeah, 30 but he has not played all that well and has had some decent run for the Giants. But again, you're talking about franchises that have been kind of dumpster fires all year, so it's hard to really glean much. Let's get to the all-pro team. But yes, before sir. we do, <laughs> I hate doing that. But let's get to the all-pro team, but I got to tell you about this. We've hit the final week of the pro football regular season and college football is heading into the national championship. No, yeah, DraftKings Sportsbook has an an unbelievable offer to get all fans in on the action for this exciting time on the football calendar. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team, or any football team, rather, to win their game. And if they do, you can win $200 in free bets. So let's wind down the season with a big win. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any football team, college or pro, and win $200 in free bets if they're victorious. That is $200 in free bets if they win. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years or older than Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All pro team. We differ right out of the gate. You have Rodgers as your quarterback because you're a Green Bay homer and a stakeholder. Nope. I, mean, I, I have know, but that's not why. Tom Brady. Who Stop is, saying stakeholder. It's a shareholder. Whatever the fuck you are. Okay. Tom Brady is my QB for the All-Pro team, the higher-graded player, the player who has generated more PFF war than Aaron Rodgers. The Aaron Rodgers the is even the, line in the NFL, pass blocking offensive line in the NFL. Which is fine. You can only play behind the offensive line that's on your team. And he has been phenomenal for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Graded better, more PFF war. I, I like Tom Brady over Rodgers. And now he's battling Antonio Brown leaving literally mid-game. He's got injuries to Chris Godwin, injuries to Leonard Fournette. He's got injuries across the board. He's still holding this team together. I like Tom Brady. He's the, uh, the quarterback all-pro. Yeah, I mean, Rodgers beat the Cardinals with no one. He's, it, he's had He has four backup offensive linemen starting right now. It has for the last handful of weeks. And they've been look like the best offensive or at least at worst top three offense in the NFL over that span. With four backup offensive linemen, that it's it, I the grade we can debate 
it's close. <laughs> it's tight. 91.4 versus 89.1. But the supporting cast, we can't debate. He has had Tom Brady, the better supporting cast. Yeah, Tom Brady has had the better supporting cast. I think I want to just really differ here. Any any conversation around the highest-graded quarterback in the NFL, Joe Burrow being the all-pro here? There is some. I don't think the grade captures a lot of the sacks he has taken that mm -hmm. have kind of affected that offense. Whereas, so you have Burrow, and now, again, some of that's he is playing behind a very bad offensive line. But I wouldn't say his offensive line is as is any worse right now in pass protection than Aaron Rodgers has been over the past since he's had all these backups since Elton Jenkins basically went down. And Aaron Rodgers only been sacked 27 times this year. Tom Brady only sacked only 21 times this year. Joe Burrow 51. He, some of these put a lot of that on himself. He has the third highest pressure to sack conversion rate in the NFL. So Brian Baker Mayfield and Ben Roethlisberger, the elite duo we saw on Monday night. The elite duo. Oh my gosh. Um, I think with Burrow, too, I think if Zach Taylor was actually cooking up pass plays early, his volume stats would be a lot bigger. And then he'd true. be way more in the conversation if he was throwing for 400 yards a game. He is close, man. I mean, he deserves... He's third in the odds right now. He's third in MVP odds. He, right now he it's Rodgers. So he deserves a vote from a Cincinnati Homer voter. Peter King, who's been to Cincinnati. Chris Collinsworth. Chris Collins is Chris Collinsworth a voter? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is Chris going to vote for Joey B? <laughs> um, I will say... That right now, Aaron Rodgers is a favorite to win the MVP. I think he's minus 400. Tom Brady is number two in odds. And then Joe Burrow is number three. Running back. Is there really any conversation here? I think if Derrick Henry stayed healthy, there could be some back and forth. But with Derrick Henry sidelined for like a majority of the back half of the season, Jonathan Taylor of the Indianapolis Colts is the obvious answer here. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> this might be, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if there are any that are more obvious even though you did call code cordero patterson the best running back in the nfl he is the best running back <laughs> to put him on the team but i'm trying to think of, is there any like position where there's less of a debate maybe trent williams a tackle obviously aaron donald defensive tackle but like there's there's just if you if if he doesn't get 50 out of 50 votes if there's no second team all pro which the all pro we can get to how stupid the voting is for that you you get second team if there's anyone that votes for you so wait what you know how all pro voting works how does it so work? it's basically you get one ballot and you fill out your one ballot whoever gets the most votes gets first team everyone who gets a vote or no whoever gets second most votes gets second team wait, so if some guy gets 49 votes so if if like at running back jonathan taylor gets 49 votes and, and someone, someone goes damien Harris. someone writes in aj dylan aj dylan's a second team all pro yeah that's absurd that's how it works that's why Nate so then Davis, it just like and it just then it just like rewards People who don't pick the obvious choice. I don't. It's that's just how all pro voting works. Nate Davis, I believe, was second team all pro last year at guard, or at least received an all pro vote at guard last year, because someone just went, what fucking wrote? Someone's like Nate ridiculous. Davis been great, and it's like Neh. highest graded players in the NFL with at least 100 carries this year. PFF rushing grade. Josh Allen, quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, first team all pro. AJ Dillon. With 177 carries this year. Tony Pollard, 90.3 with 136 carries. And then Jonathan Taylor is number four. 90.0 rushing grade this year with over 300 carries. I think he is the obvious answer for first-team All-Pro running back. Wide receiver, Devontae Adams and Cooper Cup. I don't think there's another battle here either. Like, this is pretty yeah. fucking obvious. Yeah, it, it it really is. And now, Justin Jefferson may have more yards than, than Devontae Adams, but like... Just watch that Packers offense. It's Devontae Adams. Yeah. And Devontae's got more touchdowns. He's done it on far fewer passing plays. And he's done it as the guy. Fewer. I mean, he has yeah, been the only guy. 
it's almost like comical that no one can limit him in, in that offense. You know, he, what they showed like the graphic on Sunday Night Football. He has like a thousand yards more than anyone else in the Packers receiving. It just doesn't happen, but somehow. Well, that's why that's like why I think Matt LaFleur deserves coach of the year. Do you think Cooper Cup should offense. be the one though? Over Adams. Ooh. I don't know how that exactly works for all pro voting. I think you just is think if you're just a first team, you're a first yeah. team. Cup right now leads the NFL with eighteen hundred receiving yards. Justin Jefferson fifteen oh nine at number two. And then Devontae Adams has like I think I think that's the other thing too. It's like he has like eleven fewer yards than Justin I Jefferson. I mean, I will say in terms of like real all pro voting, if Cooper Cup doesn't get all fifty ballots, I think it's fifty like disband it like take away whoever didn't vote for him's vote well that one's gonna be easy though like yeah. it's super easy to vote so for the guy who has be. the most receiving yards when yeah <laughs> when you're about i think that when guys who are actually the best guards. also lead in like certain box score categories i don't think there's gonna be a ton yeah. of concern i think a lot of uh, that'll be pretty easy i think there is justin jefferson over Devonte adams though even if it mm-hmm. is just an 11 yard difference worry worry because the voters could see well he's got more yards yeah but I think that's. I think it should be Cup and Adams. I think you're right there. I think they're the two highest graded receivers according to PFF as well. As for tight end, Mark Andrews leads all tight ends in receiving yards with 1,276 this year. He's caught 99 of 134 targets. Travis Kelsey is a close number two, but he has not been as efficient or as highly graded yeah. as Mark Andrews is. Do you finally pass the torch away from Gronk, Kelsey, Kittle, and give Mark Andrews the nod? It's going to be tough not to. He's got the most receptions, the most yards, the most touchdowns. And, and now, Kelsey is a different type of tight end. He's much better after the catch than Mark Andrews. But, I mean, Mark Andrews is catching a higher rate of his passes. He's catching passes down the football field. He has been excellent at getting open this season and in a not high-volume passing offense. So, I think you got to give the nod to Andrews this year. Do you think name recognition, though, pushes Kelsey ahead? I could see it. I, I could mean, see it, too. But We'll see. Just... Yeah, I, I do think Mark Andrews has been terrific, though. Like, Should really. we hold... I mean, there's going to be a legitimate, like, uproar if Trent Williams doesn't win left tackle. <laughs> he is the highest-graded offensive lineman in PFF, and he could go down, depending on Week 18, as the highest-graded lineman I think we've ever seen, mm-hmm. right, in a single season. He has been absolutely absurd as a run blocker in this offense. I think he had a 99.9 PFF grade at one point. Trent Williams is the first team all pro and there are no rebuttals. Yeah. It's Trent at left tackle. That one is another one of those that there's no debate. Left guard, Betonio is actually graded really well as well this year. Joel Betonio, the guard for the Cleveland Browns, and he has a 94-plus PFF grade so far this year. Very few pressures allowed in, in pass protection. has also been a road grader for them as a run blocker. Kind of one of the unsung guards in the NFL. Everyone brings up Zach Martin. Everyone brings up Quentin Nelson, but Betonio is in that. He's in that tier for me. If you're talking about tier of, you know, tier one of guards in the NFL, Betonio is mm-hmm. 100% in there with Martin and with Nelson. He's honestly been one of the most underrated guards because everyone talks about why Teller. And everyone talks about why Teller because he has more highlight real plays than that, like highlight real blocks. But he hasn't given up more than 18 pressures in a season the past four years, Joel Betonio. Been healthy and he even filled in at left tackle this year. I think is the other thing that like oh, that's gives right. him the nod. You can build that left tackle weeks 15 and 16 and only out three total pressures in those two games. Like this is a guy who was a left tackle at Nevada when he was coming out. Second round pick. Dude, he should have been fighting to stay at left tackle because he looked damn good there too. Left or center. Creed Humphrey not only made the all-rookie team, but he's going to make the all-pro team for PFF as well. He is the highest grade center in the NFL. It's as simple as that. He has been very and consistent. Very far and away the highest grade. Yeah, I think right now he has a 90 plus PFF grade. No other center has higher than like an 82, I think is what I've seen. He's 85. Is uh, 
Corey Lindsley is 85. Corey Lindsley at 85. Big free agent signing for the Los Angeles Chargers. Creed Humphrey comes in and says, no, I'm the highest grade center in the NFL. He has been the obvious one. I don't think that that shifts a ton either. Maybe Lindsley gets it for name recognition and people are scared to put rookies on the all-pro team. But with offensive linemen, we've seen over the years, people side with PFF pretty often in these situations. Not the Nate, Nate, not the Nate Davis stuff, just because the voting's kind of fucked. But I think is. Yeah. PFF has gotten yeah. more popular. I think more people have sided with where PFF sees them. It's not just about yeah, starting. I bet this is going to be stuff. your all-pro line, what we're saying right Trent, now. Bretonio, Creed, and then at right guard, we have Zach, Zach Martin, Martin, who is, I think, the highest graded interior offensive lineman, even above Creed so far this year. And He's and already known. been a six-time all-pro. That's four, te- four He's Hall teams, Famer. Two, six, two second teams. That's already Hall of Fame level right there. And then right tackle. I think there are some other tackles that have potentially graded better than Worfs at right tackle this year, but Worfs, we're pick, I, I picked him over. I think Tom Compton has been grading well. I think he's played up and down for the San Francisco 49ers, but I like Worfs over everyone. Yeah, this one's not close either. It's Tristan Worfs at right tackle. And it's more because, not not just because Worfs has been awesome, but also like the right tackles in the NFL this season have not been great, whether it's Ryan Ramchick getting hurt, Lane Johnson missing time, Tristan Worfs. Starting all 16 games, only allowing 12 total pressures on the season is just, <laughs> that's that's your first team right tackle. So Tom Compton, the San Francisco 49ers offensive tackle, has played over 500 snaps at right man. tackle. Huh? He's kind of a journeyman. He's been all over. And he's actually graded well than yeah. better than Worfs this year, but a lot of that being run blocking. Just a 68.9 pass blocking grade for Compton, a 93.1 run blocking grade. And on Wainu, has played injured a lot this year, but he has over 200 snaps played at right tackle and has graded better. But still, you look at Worfs. Over 1,100 snaps played, all at right tackle, 84.1 PFF grade, 84.3 pass blocking grade, highest of any right tackle. I think backing him as a right tackle. And honestly, I wouldn't put Compton or Wayne next. I'd put Lane Johnson as that number two right tackle if you're going to go second team all pro. Defense. Before we get to defense, should we get to Western Southern? Where you can defend life with life insurance? Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Allen Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western Southern is teaming up with PFS very own Chris Collinsworth, the boss of the big band, to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate game day feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering up to $2,500. Who are you inviting for that much fucking food? That's insane. It's a big party. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for the answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western Southern, you can rest assured on game day. You have $2,500. You have to spend it on food, not alcohol. One, how many people are you inviting? And two, where are you going to get the food here in Cincy? I have, I have, I want to throw something out there just kind of, wings are always a good Super Bowl food. Mm-hmm. And we have those wings, the MLT, MLTs is a great wings place in Cincy. And so is Knockback Nats. You could get member bang for your buck with a wing stop order, and it probably is easier easier to cater that. Okay, no, no, no. You go to the top end of wings. Okay, it's it. You already have twenty five hundred bucks. It's a lot of cash. Yeah, to, yeah. To play with there, you're not skimping on the price wings. Are also kind of a pain in the ass though, because you got so many people coming over and they're all trying to put their little bones places. That's kind of a pain in the ass. I don't hate like moving away from that. If you're getting wings from a chain for my money. Hooters has the best wings. For really? I don't think I've ever had Hooters wings. Hooters wings are pretty solid. How often do you go to Hooters? I mean, the one there's, there's the one on the river. <laughs> it's actually pretty dope. They have a nice TV set. They got like a four block 
go there for the 4 p.m. games. It's a nice spot. I go there somewhat. Frequently. Once a week. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. Would you actually go wings or what would you do? Yeah. Wings is a classic Super Bowl thing. I don't know if I would. I think pizza is also an option. Pizza makes I'm, things easier. Pizza. I, don't, I like eating a pizza. Like pizza gets set down, eat the pizza. I don't like grazing a pizza. Like a cold, oh, because like wings a, you can't graze. Yeah. Like I don't want them to take. be a, like a sitting out half hour late pizza is poop in my opinion. That's actually a good take. You could also split it up. 2,500 bucks, get some wings, get some pizza, yeah. light it up. All right. Uh, on to defense. Defensive tackle. You have Aaron Donald. I have Aaron Donald. He is on Surprising. pace for another historic season. Um, he has been fucking insane this year. I think he's, I mean, he's been the highest grade defensive tackle since like 2000, what, 14 or when he was drafted. Like it's been, he's yeah, been kind of cheating. On. So 14 is his rookie year and then 15 on. I think people don't like talking about Aaron Donald because we've just been talking about him for so long. Like I honestly don't think we'll ever see this level of dominance sustained ever again. That's probably, I don't. I don't think. Yeah, the the fact that he's been able to stay healthy for this long, knock on wood, is incredible. And like, I, I think some of that's because like when you're that dominant, it's just going to be go off on the rails and like my pseudoscience take. But when you're that dominant, you're like in control of yourself more than the other guys. I feel like you get hurt a lot when you like you get beat or when you're kind of that's not, not a bad take uh, actually necessarily, you know, under control, but he's always in control of like every interaction he's in, whatever he's doing, he knows where he is and like is dictating how things go. Like a lot of guys get hurt when they, the other person dictates things. So even though I say that, and J.J. Watt's like the most injured dude of all time, and he's obviously in that <laughs> tier of, of like talented, but still. I, I kind of hate your that. pseudoscience. Yeah, exactly. He has played over 700 snaps every year of his career, dating back to when he was drafted in 2014. He has earned a 90-plus PFF grade every year of his career, including his rookie season. Yeah. He's recorded more than 80 pressures in every year of his career since after his rookie season. He has been legitimately insane levels of dominance and he has a 94.1 pff grade this year which would be only top four among the grades he's had in a single season in his career but still the best among any defensive tackle this year mm -hmm. aaron donald a literal monster continues to have success in the nfl and i don't think we'll ever see this success again defensive tackle i went a different route and i know he doesn't always you went chris jones which is fine that's fine and i know he doesn't play like exclusively on the nose a ton but cameron hayward from pittsburgh steelers deserves some love he's got a 91.2 PFF grade this year, 86.7 pass rushing grade, 58 total pressures on the year. And Cameron Hayward, one of the most underrated players in the NFL, 90-plus PFF grade this year. He's been over 84 in each of the last six seasons for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm giving Cameron Hayward some love, making him the number two defensive tackle. Go for it. I'm giving Chris Jones some love because I just think he's better and has been better. <laughs> and a lot of his, you know, so Cameron Hayward, will say, has graded, has a higher grade this year. But to be, that's because... Chris Jones playing out of position the first yeah, four weeks of the was, season. Yeah. He was playing defensive end, is not a defensive end. His grade showed it there. And now he wasn't bad by any means, but he wasn't the dominant dude that we've seen the past 10 weeks since he got back to his natural defense tackle spot. So there you go. Shall we get to edge? Miles Garrett wins edge. Miles Garrett is a monster. He could probably win defensive player of the year. Oh, it's the fact that the Browns shit the bed down the stretch robbed him he would if they played well when you know get a lead in any of these fucking games here he's rushing the passer with no yeah. regard like has some situations where he knows the other team's gonna pass no browns couldn't do shit robbed us of that robbed him of it because he would have been defensive player of the year if that would have been the case 
He's now plus 2,500 win defense player of the year. Watt, Parsons, Donald are the three favorites. Watt at minus 400. But Garrett, man, he has been awesome this year. Will be a career-high 92.0 PFF grade for Miles Garrett this year, a career-high 92.6 pass rushing grade, and he has 76 pressures, which is another career-high and among the best in the NFL. Watt will clear it. Parsons has better odds because their teams are better. Yeah, even the Steelers. You can even say the Steelers have a better team than the Browns this year, which is well, probably what not. I just saw that. Yeah, care. probably what not anyone saw are mm-hmm. coming prior to the season. I think some people were picking the Browns for the Super Bowl this yeah. year, which is a sad state of affairs if you are a Browns fan. Number two, I'm glad we agreed on this guy, Max Crosby. Max Crosby getting some love as the other edge on the All Pro team for both of us here. Max Crosby, he'll have obviously a career high season. I think he's the number two graded edge behind Garrett, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, again, this is another one. You flip his season on its head, and we would be thinking about it a lot different. But that guy had 13 pressures against the Ravens, 12 pressures against the Broncos, 13 pressures against the Chiefs. Now, he's been a lot, has not graded out as well of late. But the man was on a tear to start the season. Still has, like, 15 more pressures than anyone else in the NFL. He's got Still has a 91.4 pass rushing grade. He's, he's, he deserves some love. And the TJ Watt is right in the mix for the other edge spot. But it's a full season award. Give me Max Crosby. I think people are going to hate that. Oh, yeah. People are going to hate that. That's fine. That's completely fine. Watt, Crosby, Watt over Crosby. He's going to be defensive player of the year. I pick Crosby as well, but fuck. I think Watt's going to probably, it's going to be Watt and Garrett as the two edges in the real all pro team. Uh, Linebacker, Micah Parsons. We already waxed poetic about Micah Parsons. He is the highest graded linebacker in the NFL. Obvious choice for one of the linebacker spots. The other one, free agent addition. Devondre Campbell over your future Super Bowl winning Green Bay Packers. This one, I You're like this I put that in there. Darius, thank you for that. Darius Leonard's been great too. He deserves a lot of love. Devondre Campbell's been insane though. Like having watched obviously the Packers my entire life, he's playing linebacker differently than any linebacker I've seen in a Green Bay Packers uniform. Now that's not a high bar, but at the same time, he's playing linebacker differently than any other point in his career. And just as a pure tackler in space. He is the best Eklund linebacker in the NFL. He has missed four tackles on 138 attempts this year. Any other guy who has over like 100 attempts in terms of tackles has missed at least 10. That is, like He has been the cornerstone to that defense, but literally holding this defense, this broken defense together with him. Um, yeah, it's, like I said, Darius Leonard, very close, very good season. It's Devondre Campbell for me. I love it. I love it. I pick Campbell as well. He's one of the highest grade linebackers in all of the NFL. If Michael Parsons didn't exist, more people would be shedding some love. Also, I think if Devondre Campbell was a bigger name, right? More people have talked about Darius Leonard because he is kind of the star for the Colts and a turnover machine. Also a friend of the show. Remember when we met up with him in Indy for that combine and we oh, did yeah, that Darius live Hunter. show with him? Yeah, yeah. Darius Leonard is a monster. All right, cornerbacks. You went with AJ Terrell as your first guy, and as did I. He's the highest grade cornerback in PFF. He's also going to have, I think, a top five season ever in yards allowed per coverage snap. He has limited a ton behind a shitty-ass Falcons pass rush, too. He has held up really well in coverage. You weren't all that high on Terrell coming out, but he has been phenomenal. 25th. 25th, right? But Terrell, first-team All-Pro. For sure. If you listen to this podcast at all, you know that was going to happen. The other one, though, is where the debate starts, at least for me. Now, because the stupid way that the All-Pro does their – they have – cornerbacks to cornerback positions two safety positions and then a defensive hybrid i think is what they call it and so to me jc jackson fits 
the other cornerback position, which would be like, you know, true cornerback hybrid to me is like slot, box safety, something or whatever that sort of role is, is what I was what I feel like. So that to me is Jalen Ramsey. That's what he's done this year for the Los Angeles Rams. He has not been the traditional outside corner yeah. you've seen from him in years past. His role has changed for that defense. So he's the hybrid. Even if that sounds like shittier in terms of like you don't respect him. Yeah. I'm saying yeah, this was like it sounds shittier to be the hybrid first team all pro than the cornerback first team all pro. But then if you're get if you want a guy who has a lot of picks, JC Jackson should be your first team all pro, not Trayvon Diggs. Wow. Trayvon Diggs, obviously we've talked about dude's given up over a thousand yards this year. JC eleven picks. JC Jackson, eight picks, nothing to sneeze at, but only six hundred and twenty eight yards this year. Dude has been very, very good. 11 pass breakups. I, I like that you're giving J.C. Jackson his due. I went with Ramsey as the number two corner. Tra- thinking about like how, I think I'm, I think part of me thinks about like I think how they'll vote it. I think it will be yeah. Ram- Ramsey will be there and Diggs. He will. I think it'll be Ramsey and Diggs. It will be. Ramsey yes. and Diggs are the All-Pros. A.J. Terrell will get some love on the PFF All-Pro team. And then for my hybrid, I went a little bit of a different direction because I didn't really understand what the fuck it's supposed to be. Micah Hyde has been one of the highest graded defensive backs in all of football this year, and he has been truly impressive, and I didn't pick him for either of the safety spots, so I threw him in. But if I couldn't choose a safety, Chidobe Awuzie, another really highly graded outside corner. Maybe I could move him ahead of Ramsey and Ramsey into the hybrid. But I think all those defensive backs need some love. Terrell, Jackson, Ramsey, Awuzie, those those four-ish corners have all been really, really good on the outside sometimes. And that hybrid is where I could also think or see Javon Holland getting small pro love because of what he did as a blitzer in some games. And now he does play primarily like deep safety, but he has done a lot more things for that defense than your normal deep safety. Safeties, we aligned on both these. Kevin Byard is the highest grade safety in the NFL. He's also been on the Richard Sherman podcast. You should check out this that episode. Yeah. And Antoine Winfield Jr., friend of the show, is the high, second highest grade safety in the NFL as a second year player for the Tampa Bay Bucs. Been awesome. He's been hurt somewhat this year too. Mm-hmm. And he has been absolutely insane um, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We aligned on both those, Kevin Byard and Antoine Winfield Jr., the two safety spots. Yeah, Byard, that safety tandem for Tennessee, I love, man. Byard and Hooker. That's a Hooker's graded really why, well this year too. Big reason why they have been the, the one seed. I mean, it's like the guys, Byard, Hooker, Fulton on that defense, all game changers. Molden. And Molden, yeah, yeah all yeah, guys yeah. that I guess Bayard we knew was good, but like Hooker, Fulton, and Molden, you're kind of just like, are they going to be? We loved them all coming out. Yeah, so like we had them all way higher coming out than where they ended up getting drafted. So all fans of what they could be, but you really never know until you see it. And well, shit, we're seeing them. And then if Farley can get healthy, that's another like PFF guy in the secondary to bring in. If, I mean, that secondary could develop into something yeah. special. John Robinson. Following our draft board. Following our draft board, baby. All right, that's going to do it for the all-pro teams, the all-rookie teams. Make sure to rip us apart in the mentions when you need to. Let's get to the bus watch. We got bus watch, bus watch, washed watch, whiff watch, and then the first-round lock segment, which is this the last week for first-round lock? Zip. I said I'd do 20 right right up until the national championship game. We'll start with bus watch, the bad bust. The bad bust. There's no bad busts in my opinion. Shut up. I would go the first time. This is the first time all season we're going with an actual rookie, I believe. I don't think we've done a, a true rookie yet because we don't want to put that on him too early. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But Jamin Davis, we talked about him last week on the first round segment or two weeks ago. He was benched. He got benched this past week. A first rounder getting benched for David Mayo. Now, he had COVID two weeks ago, comes back, and that's – but at, like. Ron Rivera's post-game comments did not seem 
to make it make it make it seem good lord what am i saying here did not make it seem as if it was because he was still suffering effects from COVID or sick or whatever and that's why he got benched it seemed like he was actually thought that the defense looked better and performed better in that week jamie davis is gone and david mayo took a spot so david mayo then took a spot full time full time so that's always a scary proposition now again only a rookie no death now but getting benched your rookie year as a first rounder this late in the season is a scary thing especially kind of with you know washington's history of benching first rounders the last one to do it is now playing backup quarterback for the steelers um i think for i have a few things there one it might be a little early to put him on bus watch i always think that's a bit aggressive but man like he, he is not graded well this year 39.8 pff grade for pff over 500 snaps played um in the linebacker position we've talked about guys like patrick queen devin white devin bush who have like legitimately come out and not graded well that's a fact mm-hmm. jamin davis has been in that camp but then there's other people who are listening at home and like, who the fuck is David Mayo? <laughs> David Mayo is a 28-year-old veteran who's been bounced around the league, played for Carolina for the start, Giants for a little bit. He's now on the football team. Former Texas State player, fifth-round pick in the 2015 draft. If he's playing better, there are concerns, right? Like, we didn't have this conversation with Queen. We didn't have this conversation with Devin White. We have not even had this conversation with Devin Bush, where he is getting benched for objectively yeah. lower-investment players like David Mayo. That is a legitimate journeyman. concern. That is a journeyman. Yeah. That is a concern. So um, I'll, I'll, I, I'm nervous to put a rookie that early. Jamin Davis was our number 41 overall player on the draft board behind Alex Leatherwood. Mm-hmm. So there is, again, maybe it's a bit too early, but man, I think Jamin Davis needs to turn around fast or else David Mayo's going to take your job, which you don't want to see as a rookie first rounder out of Kentucky. Other bust. Bust watch hall, fame watch. Antonio Brown. I'm all in. Do this more of the conversation. Do the voters at this point, after the shenanigans, yeah, hold it against him when it comes time for the Hall of Fame? Yes. Does he now? I'm. I feel fairly comfortable saying he won't get on the first ballot after all this. But is it a complete blackballing where he's just not getting in altogether? Because I mean, To didn't get in on the first ballot because of whatever reporters and whatnot hating him. So Antonio Brown's definitely not getting if T.O. didn't get in the first ballot. But will he be left out altogether in the cold, do you think? I think he does get left out altogether. I think Antonio Brown is a Hall of Fame talent, and if he didn't streak off the field and among the other things that he's been accused of, like I don't think – this I don't think this is even a question. Like he's a Hall of Famer, first ballot, one of the best receivers in the game has legitimately ever seen in his peak, and his peak was still going. Like he retired in a game or whatever the fuck just happened. He left a game after like cooking Bryce Hall, one of the better routes we've seen this year. Like he has been still very good, still a top receiver in the NFL. Yeah, um, it's crazy how much like meat he left off the bone by being a psychopath, though. You know, he had 15 touchdowns his last. Can you not season. label him a psychopath? Like he's going. I, I don't. I feel I'm like fine that's with just that a, label. Um, I mean. Let's look up the definition of a psychopath and then we can talk about it. I, I just don't definition. think you do, I, I mean, I don't know. Regardless, Antonio Brown has gone through it. Mental disorder he or might. abnormal or violent social behavior. What would we call what just went on there? I just think you're being a dick, man. I'm just saying, I hope he gets help. That's yeah, it is what it that's, is that's at this fair. point. That's fair. It is what it is at this point. But his last season, 2018, 15 touchdowns, 1,297 yards. He had a six year stretch where he averaged 1,524 yards a year. There might be three receivers in the NFL that get to that this year. And he averaged that for six years straight. That is, I mean, that's first ballot Hall of Fame. If he were playing, if he played baseball, he would be- definitely never be going to the Hall of Fame. But I think NFL writers are a little bit more lenient on said this sort of antics. 
I think he ends up getting it. Really? I do think he ends up getting it. Wow. I ha- I, you hope so, right? And that Hall of Fame speech will be a legitimate treat. Yes. I like for the content alone. That will be quite the time. I hope he gets help. I hope he gets back in the NFL. Do you, you see the Bucks haven't released him? Oh, they're trying to. Uh, they're just uh, whatever. So no one else can pick him up, right? They're just. I guess, but up. like, do they put him on the Which, field? <laughs> I mean, shit. It behooves them at that point to not just to give him to anyone other contender. Pay like whatever money it's going to cost them. Probably not that much because he didn't sign for a ton. But like, is there no like way to get him on the field? I mean, they're. I, I don't know. And like, if you're keeping game? him, are you only keeping him so he doesn't play for anybody else? At that point, why aren't you playing Dude, he's him? Gonna, it's going to come, what is it going to be? NFC Championship game. You're going to Lambeau. Antonio Brown runs out the tunnel. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I hope it happens. Arians just like the, There is no arguing. Answer a single question about it. There is no arguing. Antonio Brown dressed yeah. is objectively a top receiver in the NFL. And one that the Bucks could need. Like, need with Chris Godwin out. Evans battling injuries. They're starting Cyril Grayson out there. Like, they need Antonio Brown. They don't need him for week 18. Yeah. Give him the fucking week off, you know, and they're, they're not going to need him for the first, or they're not, they're not getting the first round by. They might need him early. Mm-hmm. Maybe save him for the postseason. I don't think cutting him makes sense. Now, Bruce Arians, of course, would look kind of foolish because he's like, he's no longer with this team, but he's not, like, he's still on the football team. He's still signed. I'm interested in what will ultimately happen, but anyway. Uh, washed watch. Wow. Michael Brockers is on this list. He was one of my favorites in the NFL for a couple of years because he's this unsung hero alongside Aaron Donald, who's always graded really, really well. Yeah. But it's over. It's we're screwed with Michael Barkers. I think he might be done. At, his peak is over. It sadly is over. He is 31 years old, and now that's not terribly old, but obviously everyone's career path is different. But this year, I, it, this is almost difficult to believe. This statistic: 283 pass rushing snaps. Five pressures. I think, I'm just gonna say, if you put me on an NFL football field and told me to rush the passer 283 times, I could pressure a quarterback five times. Now, I, my rush lanes, my uh, whatever would not be great, but like you could like spy luck into five pressures. I agree. On 283 That's snaps. fair. Like a quarterback running, like you could get to the QB outside of the pocket, generate pressure. Five times is one of the most insane pressure rates I've ever seen at the NFL level. There was a guy one year who was it? It was like a, when the Bucks were really bad, like 2016, where a guy had 120 pass rush snaps and one pressure for the whole season. Who was it? I got to look that one up. But five pressures on for being a full time player. He hasn't had a pressure since week 11. He's been started every game but one over that span. So um, I think it's safe to say his best days are behind him. I mean, uh, how many pressures do you honestly think you could get? Is five the max? How many pressures? Pass rushing. Let's call it 300. 300 pass rush opportunities. How many pressures do you get? 10. I get 10. You think you get 10? 10. I'm saying like you kind of like spy. You like if you really had yeah, no. Yeah, you had no other responsibilities. No other responsibilities. Like that makes just sense. Just get a pressure. Quarterback exits, whatever. But like I think you get to 10 on 300. Yeah. So you're kind of sitting back. You have no responsibility, yeah. but like try just to run, find a way to get I, to the quarterback. I just run right behind like whoever's my defensive end and just try to like hop over him or I don't know something like that I mean it's not bad but then they know that you're doing that they're like hey this guy doesn't do anything but try and rush the passer and he's kind of trash I I don't think you would get I don't think you would get five to ten pressures I don't I don't I don't think you would I mean especially if you play that role like I have no responsibilities I just rush the passer now if I'm an interior rusher that that would be a different story you're not getting out pressure you're gonna get your ass creamed you're not gonna get a snap (laughs) anyway with watch 
I think I could get one okay. pressure. Right. 300 snaps, I think I could get just one. try to dive between the offensive linemen's legs. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would yeah. do. I would find a way to get one. Give me 300 tries, right. and I'd try and get one. Whiff watch, you're up. Um, this one, so this was, this was spurred by the Rashad Penny conversation from said episode. Probably like a few, we've talked about Penny on a few episodes now. But I went back and looked. Rashad Penny, we had 29th that year. That was 2018, which is not terrible. That one's obviously not great in retrospect, but he has been good when healthy. This one, though, Ronald Jones, 39th on the board that year. And this was before we really were like, hey, running backs, don't, don't matter. This is when we're like, it probably don't matter as much as the NFL thinks they do. But Ronald Jones at 39th was a tough sell. And that was ahead of, I believe we had him like two spots ahead of Nick Chubb, which hurts. Oh, my God. Respect. Now. Nick Chubb had the injuries, though, right? Was but that Nick Chubb was yeah. a big thing about just like, was he healthy? Because he really never was at Georgia. His after, true like, freshman year at Georgia, though? That's insanity. Dude, that was one I was, of the best. I, Honestly, like, he was still probably better as a true freshman than he is right now, which is crazy to think about. <laughs> he was, was different. That, that, go back and turn on that tape, because that, that was an insane year, that true freshman year at Georgia for Nick Chubb. First round lock, your last of the 20, and then list the 20, please. Your last time we're really okay. putting this up. This is it. Roll, roll. And Max Chadwick, that producer. Bean let's get the let's get a graphic. Mike Renner's final first round locks. Whew. I, now I don't want a graphic going on social because I did some of these so early on that I also dis, that like I don't I don't love them anymore. Really, you know? really. But that was the that was the okay, gist of fine. the no exercise. graphic. Max, no gist, graphic. That was the gist of the exercise. Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm tweeting it out. Derek Stingley, <laughs> Evan Neal, Kyle Hamilton, Demarvin Leal, Tyler Linderbaum, Garrett Wilson, Ikki Aquanu. George Karloftis, Nicobe Dean, Charles Cross, Mississippi State offensive tackle. I probably should have been saying positions and yeah, you schools for these, but hopefully you knew all those. Um, Jameson Williams, Alabama wide receiver. Jordan Davis, the Georgia defense tackle. Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh quarterback. Devin Lloyd, the Utah linebacker. David Ojabo, the Michigan defensive end. Drake London, USC wide receiver. Andrew Booth, Clemson cornerback. And my last and final one, number 20, save the best for last. Wearing the shirt, it's Ahmad Gardner, the cornerback wow. from Cincinnati. First round lock goes against Alabama, holds his own against Jamison Williams. I believe he allowed 12 yards all game long. Finished the season with what 124 yards in the entire year. Just absurd, absurd stuff from him. 131, excuse me, and 14 yards against Alabama. And Alabama came out and like gave him some fucking respect. Yeah. Like they were running a ton of bunch sets, trying to force him in his own coverage and like like limit him from being a one on one guy against their best guys. And like Cincinnati obviously wanted to go in that game and have Ahmad Gardner go one on one against some of their best, but they like literally didn't have that opportunity yeah. with how much they ran the football, ran the bunch stuff, and like forced him into his own coverage they where they gave. just got eaten alive. Like their linebackers legitimately got eaten alive in that game on the underneath stuff, couldn't tackle all that. So um, Ahmad Gardner, I'm excited for his NFL career. I think the sauce nickname, I mean, the social media managers are chomping at the bit to try and just get a little piece of that. And I think whatever team grabs them needs to take advantage of that full force. So Ahmad Garner, first round lock. Let's get to the interview now with not a first round lock, but maybe a day two, day three guy, Kyron Williams, Notre Dame running back. Now joining the tailgate podcast is Notre Dame running back, Kyron Williams. I got to be honest, man. My co-host, Mike Renner, is a big Notre Dame fan. He's excited for this one. So I hope, you know, I hope, hope we, hope I pan this out. I hope I nail the interview. I don't know the dorm names. I don't know. There's like the book league basketball or whatever the <laughs> hell that thing's called. I don't know any of that stuff. But that's it. That's it. Um, but it's great to have you on the show, even though I'm not a Notre Dame guy. Sure. You know, yeah, I'm excited to be here. You know, um, let's just, let's get started. 
Absolutely, man. I want to I want to get a little bit into your background before we talk about obviously the years that you've had at Notre Dame, specifically this past season, having a lot of success now entering the draft. But former four star recruit from Missouri, have some offers from you know you have an offer from Missouri, you have offers from Iowa, opportunity to go into the Big Ten. What ultimately drew you to Notre Dame, you know, to leave state to go to Notre Dame, and I guess um, yeah, I guess speak to that decision and honestly your recruiting process as a whole. Yeah. So to start it off, I wouldn't even consider myself a four star because they gave you the my four star on the last day that they were. Uh, no way. <laughs> yeah, I'm really a three star and I'm going to take a three star to the grave. And that's really who I am as a person. I am that like kind of three star type of guy who always has a mentality to work. So um, like you said, in high school, um, I had a lot some offers, you know, at, at first it was slow, like my freshman, sophomore year. I had maybe one offer from uh, my first offer was Nebraska. So I had one offer. Um, my freshman sophomore year and then my junior year that's when all like a lot of my offers came um and then they, and then it came down to um Michigan Mizzou and Notre Dame and then for me um it was it was kind of it was kind of an easy decision at the time because mm-hmm. uh one because Mizzou offered me late and I was a hometown kid so I felt like I felt kind of like you know yeah what what that like how do you how, why are you now offering now offering me offering me now when you could have done it before so um I just put them in there just because you know I have uh, like that is my hometown team so I'm gonna put them in there and then it was really between uh, Notre Dame and Michigan and at the time it was just like what do I really want um in life you know because at Notre Dame you're really going to that school because you're you're better in yourself for the life that you're um your, your future holds, whether that's, you know, athletically or whether that's um, in, the, in the business world or the real world. So I feel like it kind of geared me both towards where I wanted to be, um, um, both on and off the field. Obviously, I wanted to go to a university that can get me to the NFL, but also a university that I can have a degree to fall back on. So um, at that point, it was just an easy decision for me to pick Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, an awesome school from like all the players I've talked to from Notre Dame and even Mike, he's, you know, speaks to just like how much it prepares you just not just for football, right, but also like your life and and, and going on beyond that. So that's awesome that you were able to make that decision. Obviously had a ton of success at Notre Dame, focusing in more on that this past season had one of the more impressive seasons you know you've had there you've kind of grown and grown in your role in this offense as you've developed but this past season you know 204 carries 990 yards 14 touchdowns an awesome awesome year for you even back-to-back years there at Notre Dame and something I love about your running style is that you are you pack a huge punch with every touch right like you are a bowling ball of butcher knives I think some people have said that about your game it's an it's an impressive thing to watch I guess speak to how much you feel your game has improved over the course of your career there at Notre Dame and also you know, shine light using your words, right? Like this entire draft process, people are going to say like what you are and you know, your size and what, how you run, I guess, speak to how you feel your running style is and what your strengths are. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, for me and my running style, personally, I feel like I'm like a kind of like a freestyle type of guy, you know, I kind of act on instincts and act on levers that I see from other um, from defenders type that are coming at me to try to tackle me. So um, I really try to break it down as fast as I can and try to, like I said, use the leverage against them so that I can be able to make them cut or make a cut. But then I also, like he said, um, I also can run you over and I put my head down. So I kind of use those two kind of to my advantage. It's like pick your poison, what kind of way I'm going to go. And it depends on where I'm running. Like if I'm between the tackles, then you know, obviously I'm going to have my head down um, at first and then be able to try to make a second level cut. So I'm able to break free, but yeah, just over the years of Notre Dame, I was able to develop different skills that allowed me to be able to do the things that I do now. Like as I, 
um, said like set people up and then like being able to have patience and when able to see cuts and the holes are at. So um, just using those skills each and every time that I'm at practice and watching film and then being able to relate it in the game, it's just helped me, you know, be able to develop from my freshman year to my junior year now. I think you were leveraged well as well in the passing game, right? I think over 30 receptions over the past two years. And I think, you know, where the NFL is going, everyone knows that it's becoming a passing league and what's expected of the running back position so much now is to catch the football, to pass protect. What's your viewpoint on the importance there, right? How important is it for a back like yourself to be a legitimate weapon as a pass catcher? And I guess speak to the skills you bring in the passing game. Yeah. I think as a back, it's, you could be the, the way that you can be the best back is to have all the traits that it is to be uh, what it is to be a running back. So whether, that, whether that's pass the ball, run the ball, cutting, making people miss, or pass protection. Like all of those skills you need to be able to have in order to be a running back. So I think that's just, you know, one of the traits that a running back needs to have to be a complete running back. And I think I, I possess that well because of my, my experience with playing wide receiver in high school and doing everything. Got all my offers from being a slot receiver and doing one-on-ones. And what, oh, really? What Going to camps and like that, I was I wasn't doing running back drills. I was just doing my receiver drills. So I just feel like that, um, with my experience of play, catching the ball and being able to do it in the slot and out of the backfield, it helps me be able to be able to that be able to be that complete back that you know has all those traits I just talked about. Did you ever want to you know have more time at receiver right, or when you were being recruited, did you want to like kind of exclusively play running back? One hundred percent. I wanted to be able to really play like like almost 50 50 both slot and running back like I want to be able to the, like what team make teams be able to think where he's going to line up next this next drive like it could it's not it's always going to like I want it to be a question every time every drive I mean that you see all the success I'm sure you've watched some of the NFL this year like Debo Samuel right like Debo Samuel right. playing in the slot he plays outside he plays running back I mean that you have a similar frame right like that's you know like five foot nine five foot ten two hundred frame where you're a bulky compact athletic player I mean there is a lot of reason for teams to start to go in that direction to use players like yourself to draw more value and I think that versatility is going to speak volumes to like what you can do at the next level I think that's fantastic to hear from your perspective talk more about your film preparation and how that's improved you spoke to it a little bit but I love hearing from players you know how their film watching has improved how their football IQ has improved and what you look for specifically on tape when you're preparing for a certain defense or a certain opponent right so um I wasn't at first, like you said, I wasn't at first, like my freshman year, I wasn't really good with watching film because, you know, I wasn't playing as much. So it didn't really matter. I didn't think it mattered to me. But once I got to playing, I really seen how much it mattered to me, whether that even be in practice. I know I remember every time in like my sophomore year, I would, after practice, I'd get home, hop right on my iPad and go to the plays that I thought that I messed up. And, you know, just looking at those plays and be able to correct yourself, correct what you did wrong, whether I know I, I watched a lot of wide receiver reps that I had to be able to correct my steps to where I want to break off at. And so when I'm in the game, those those things become memory and then you're just be able, be able to react because you watch film. So um, that's just one thing I look at was how many steps I'll be able to take um, whenever whenever I make breaking, a, uh, just being able to break a defender off and then what kind of what leverage he's giving me as well. And also <clears throat> when I'm at, uh, when I'm at the running back, I, I try to watch the two linebackers and, you know, my basic inside zone reads, I just re I just apply those to all 
all the um, the plays that I'm watching, and then I just be able to I just read the backers flow. Either if they go outside, then I know the cuts are going to be inside. If they if one flows to the left, then the um, then the cuts going to be right side because the other backer is outside of the box. So you know, it's just I, I just try to key on those different things and try to read the flows of the linebackers, and you know, obviously see how they tackle, see how they blitz, um, see how they are in coverage, see how they are. Um, one-on-one in space, you know, I just, I try to watch all those things. So, you know, just try the things that I bring to, I think I bring to my game. I try to watch those. Um, I try to watch other players do that. And I try, I just watch the um, linebackers as well and other players. What about NFL tape, right? Do you ever have opportunities maybe in the off season? It's so much harder to yeah. watch, you know, NFL tape in season when you're preparing every week, but in the off season, are there running backs or players in the NFL that you watch a lot of, right? That you kind of pattern your game after, or just like really appreciate. So, um, you know, there's not there's not one specific running back or there's not one specific person that I watch. You know, every week we had um, the NFL TD run. So I, I would, when I got done watching um, film, I would go to those and watch every single TD run there was of that week of um, whatever week of the NFL was. So that's what I really use. I just try to watch multiple different backs. But I do remember watching J.K. Dobbins, like just singly J.K. Dobbins in, um, from his college tape to his NFL tape to because one of our our GAs last year told me that uh, I played similar to him because he played – He uh, our GA played him at Michigan um, while he was at Ohio State. So I tried to watch his film and be, see what he did. But, you know, I can see how we can relate, and I kind of got stuff from him, basically, when, um, especially when he runs the outside zone because he's a really outside zone back. And so yeah. I watched how he had – how the patience he used and, you know, just trying to see how he read a defense to where and whether he needed to cut back or stay front side. And J.K. Dobbins, another guy that's kind of in the same size size tier as you, right? Five foot ten, two ten. What what weight did you play at this past year? And is there like a goal weight that you want to hit as you enter kind of the draft season or like kind of this off season? Yeah, I played the season. You know, I varied. I didn't, I didn't really worry about my weight. I wasn't as um, because my freshman year, I was you know I was a little chubbier. I was heavier. I was about two hundred five, two hundred seven. You know, on a bad day, two ten. You know, so I didn't. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't I didn't like how I was. I didn't like how I felt playing. So um, during COVID, I was able to, you know, go back home and put in all the work to get to where I'm at now. So um, after that point, I didn't really care where my weight was at because I knew I wasn't going to get to back where I was because my body was in a whole different type of shape, mm-hmm. a different type of form, physical form, everything. So I didn't really care. So last year I played, I, I don't know, 195 to 200 probably range. Gotcha. And is that the range you want to stay in, right? Do you want to stay in that 195, 200 range? Lean, solid, uh, 200. Gotcha. Yeah, perfect, man. Well, let's get into this draft season. I I love talking to players like yourself, prospects entering the draft, because it is such a hectic time, right? You are training down there in Florida right now. I'm sure you're on a diet plan and you got media interviews every single day. It's a kind of hectic. How has the process been so far? And I guess what have been maybe some of the bigger surprises as you've entered this process? Um, so yeah, as you said, I'm down here in Florida with Bob Marino's uh, performance, but, um, it hasn't really, you know, I've been, I came early since I opted out the bowl game. So I'm not playing in the bowl game. So I wasn't, I'm at, I'm not at the practices and doing all that. So, um, I came down here early before it really kind of started, you know, I'm getting like the pre-trial to what the real draft thing is here at Bob Marino's, but it's so far it's been smooth. I was able, um, been able to get a lot of work in, you know, I've been here for two weeks, just working each and every day, um, just trying to get better and, um, throughout the whole process, whether that's um, running back, receiver, the 40, three cone, all of that. So um, I expect, you know, obviously it's a load up uh, eventually after, I think on the January, on January 3rd, 
um, is really supposed, it's supposed to start. So, you know, that's when I'm really get the full experience of what it's like, um, you know, training for the combine. I would definitely, you know, soak that up, man. The people I've talked to who've gotten to the places like, you know, Marino's, uh, Exos, and been able to meet all these different players going into that same, they've come out with a lot of good friendships and a lot of good relationships. So I think it'll be, in addition to obviously like preparing you for the combine and pro days and stuff like that, I think it's going to be a really unique experience for you to, you know, you know meet a lot of these guys and improve in that area. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on before I let you go, I really appreciate the time. Um, Marcus Freeman, you know, he, you know, Notre Dame is entering this new era with Marcus Freeman taking over. I know him pretty well. I'm here in Cincinnati. That's where PFF is based out of. I've had opportunities to talk to him when he was here, the DC in Cincinnati. You can't find someone to speak a bad word on this dude. He is phenomenal on and off the field. He's such a nice guy, such a nice leader. I'd love to hear from your perspective, just the hands that you feel Notre Dame football is in, right? Like what is this new era going to look like under Freeman and maybe how, how excited should Notre Dame be? I know you're leaving, but Freeman obviously there to stay. Yeah, as you said, you know, Freeman's a great guy. He's he's even a better coach, you know. Um, everything, you know, everything that everybody says is true. He's a great players coach. I know me and him had a relationship, even though I was even on offense, you know. But um, you know, I think Notre Dame is in great hands, you know. He brings that he brings that competitive mindset that you want to bring out of players teaching every day. He brings that to practice. And I I've been to a couple of practices as I was I was able to see, you know, people really competing and people really trying to get better and um that's that's a great trend for Notre Dame especially Notre Dame football to be um in that in that direction with uh coach Freeman and coach Bayless to strength with the strength coach you know just them two being able to be together you know I just feel like it's definitely going to be in great hands awesome man Kyron I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck in this process so appreciate you that's going to do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, in the description, speakpipe.com slash tailgate. Leave a voicemail to enter a voicemail for the mailbag episode. We will record that on Wednesday for Thursday's release. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Tailgate. Tailgate.